0: Welcome back to the table. I'm Renee Silva, CEO of the Health Management Academy and your host. To continue our early season workforce conversations, I'm excited to welcome Vaughn Tonkinliven, who serves as CEO of Futuro Health and is a nationally recognized leader on workforce development. For those of you who may not know, Futuro Health is a not-for-profit formed in early 2020 through a partnership between Kaiser Permanente and the Service Employees International Union, an uncommon combination. Their mission is ambitious, yet straightforward. Train 10,000 allied health professionals in California by 2024, and then expand that model nationwide from there. Here are a few of my takeaways from our conversation. First, Futuro's success in California are notable. So far, they've graduated 8,000 scholars, and 90% have ethnically diverse backgrounds. For individuals, their model is engaging historically underrepresented communities and enabling economic mobility from within. For employers, it's helping address seemingly intractable issues around the talent pipeline and getting much further upfront of that cultivation. Next, listen for some of the rate limiters of scale. Beyond funding for scholarships, it's also about having employers that are ready to partner for training programs and being able to activate local organizations with deep connections to the community. I loved how Vaughn described this, workforce is a team sport. And finally, we couldn't discuss the health workforce without diving into the role of technology and AI. Vaughn is a firm believer in AI as a tool that will augment but not replace jobs. In turn, that means data and tech literacy will be queen. And Vaughn shared some great insights on the implications for the future of continuing education and credentialing. With that, let's head to the table. Vaughn, so happy to have you at the Academy table, welcome.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Renee. So we have not
0: yet met before, um, but I am just fascinated by all of your work and expertise on workforce development. Before we dive into that, why don't you give me a sense for your background and how you landed in the work that you're doing today?
1: Well, I'm delighted to be a member of the academy now. And uh, my graduate education came from Stanford, but really my workforce development chops came from having done this in the private sector, the public sector, and now the nonprofit sector in Futura Health. So back when I was in the private sector working for a company of 20,000 men and women, um, I took that company from having no opinion in workforce development to actually becoming a nationally recognized best practice. Mm. And then went on to uh, become executive vice chancellor of the largest system of higher education, which is actually the California community colleges. And then after that, I'm so delighted to be able to apply my workforce chops really um, to address and grow the next generation of allied health workers uh, in the nation.
0: There's a lot to unpack there. I I wanna just, it's interesting to me how you started in gas and utilities and then the work that you did for the community college system of California. Just expand on that a bit. that's another industry higher education that has had to go through a level of transformation, so just what was the what were you out to to really inflect as part of that community college, which is such an important part of of really educating so many people? Just say a little bit more about that work if you would
1: well, you know there's um there's a a common strand between my last job with the community colleges and my current job with Futura health. Um, I uh, came to the United States actually out of the Vietnam War. And so Mm -hmm. if you think about the Ukraine war, uh, my family was displaced and we came to the United States and I was very fortunate to benefit from the education system that was here. And so I feel like the work that I've been doing with the community college in order to uh, bring workforce from being an afterthought to actually a, a, a policy priority um, because anything that is policy priority also has resources, right? That's right. That's right. Um So I was able to grow uh, public investment in workforce programs from $100 million to over a billion dollars by the wow. time that I had left. Um, and then in, in, so in that capacity and in my Futura Health capacity, I do feel like I'm paying forward opportunity like the opportunities I had when I first came to the United States.
0: That's fantastic. So mission animates you as a leader. That's very clear. So Vaughn, there is a, there is a known um, really crisis level proportion on identifying and getting talent ready to take on jobs across healthcare. And I think you and I might say that there is an invisible workforce that is ready and willing to really step in, but we need to meet them where they are. So that's a big part of what animates your work. So talk to me about how you how you think about that.
1: Absolutely. I think it's a real myth um that there are not enough people in the communities that are interested in these good jobs i mean if you think about the 5 million who are unemployed as well as others who want to transition into healthcare uh, we do need to meet them where they are and it is possible to create a reliable quality and diverse pipeline but we have to do that with intentionality and the first misconception um that we need to overcome especially for employers is that you must do it alone mm. right Uh, Workforce development is really a team sport, not an individual sport, and especially in in working with the allied health roles and connecting uh, communities, diverse communities, rural communities to these jobs, we're better off working together and bringing what we all do best um, to workforce development. That's how we will have a reliable quality and diverse pipeline.
0: And so let's let's go deeper there. Through your work at Futuro, you have maybe brought together some maybe, you know, maybe unanticipated partners. So I'll I'll let you bring it to life. But I think some of your early work was grounded in Kaiser Permanente, um, along with um, the Service Employer Employees International Union. So SEIU plus Kaiser coming together to really try to overwhelm the workforce challenges. How did that maybe unlikely connection between those parties really come to life? Talk to us about that.
1: Well, this is a moment in time when unusual allies can come together, and healthcare systems are naturally competitive, but again, you know, this is a team sport and not an individual sport when it comes to developing uh, this type of talent pool. And so uh, the founding of Futuro Health was that Kaiser Permanente, which, as you know, is a big healthcare system, and their union, SEIU-UHW, came together. And pledged the the funds to create the nonprofit Futura Health, and and we launched three months ahead of the pandemic. Mm. Um, and our our role was to figure out a solution where we could bring diverse communities into these uh, healthcare roles, starting at the entry level, but solve it with um, also attention to diversity. So you never give up uh, diversity as as you also build for scale. And we're happy to report that in the thousands and thousands and thousands of of, uh, adults, diverse adults that we've touched. You know, in years one and two, we were at 80% diversity. And year three, the end of last year, we actually achieved 90% diversity. And it was a range, no matter the range of um, occupations. So ranging from thousands of medical assistants to phlebotomists, to pharmacy tech, to health IT specialists, to sterile processing tech, you name it, it was a, a, a big gamut of, occupations that are in demand by employers, and we were able to unlock diversity uh, and bring them um, into education pathways to get their healthcare credential. Um, so the, it can be done.
0: Yeah.
1: Again, the traditional playbooks um, uh, don't really work to the, the extent that are needed, and so we need to think about out-of-the-box and employ some out-of-the-box solutions.
0: So that's impressive. I love you you call your your folks scholars and I, I love that you're really thinking through preparing them for these for these roles. Um I guess my first question would be how what advice would you give to healthcare companies healthcare systems across the, the country around how you thought about that? So I loved your to to do this, you have to have a level of intentionality. So what's the one thing that you'd say folks should really think about as they mm-hmm. contemplate a path like the one that, you're, that you've that you embarked on?
1: So Renee, I had a, a chance to meet with uh, forums of CEOs and COOs of health systems uh, in DC and New York and in Orange County. Okay. One of the facts that there was was more new to them was that there's actually declining and shrinking K-12 demographics. So your traditional pool of hiring if it, it was, uh, if, if your sourcing channel came from, you know, sort of that traditional path of high schoolers moving to college, you really need to uh, be on the lookout that of this demographic shift. Um, and then, of course, everybody knows that the boomers are exiting. And of course, they, they are bringing a lot of their experience with them. So right. where is the, where is the talent? Yeah, correct. The action is at the adult level and that's been a lot harder for many employers, um, which is how do you, to enlarge, you know, how to cast the net a a bit wider uh, to bring individuals, uh, individuals from diverse and rural communities who maybe haven't participated and to meet them where they are. And what we've also discovered is that there's an onboarding process that's going to be super critical uh, for them. So all of our scholars uh, the average age, um, twenty nine, as I mentioned, they're ninety percent diverse, and actually they're fifty two percent bilingual. Mm. All of that will contribute to better uh, health equity at the end of the pipeline. Of course, um, what we discovered was starting them immediately on the technical program, the technical training at at um, uh, all of our uh, partner colleges, wasn't wasn't going to do it. Okay. They actually need a transition, a softer on ramp in back into higher education because it has been a while. Maybe they didn't have a, a, you know, an excellent experience with higher education the first time, and in addition, they needed to get their family situation ready so that they could actually do the hours in higher education. So we have put, uh, we cut over last year, so all. Uh, several thousands of our uh, Futura Hall scholars all went through a curriculum called Human Touch Healthcare. Mm. They're taught by facilitators with uh, uh, um, healthcare experience, and that's been a, a, a great curriculum to meet them what they're at and to ready them for success in their technical program later on. I think that's
0: really powerful, the, the softer on-ramp back into the workforce and doing it in a way where it's a bit more bite-sized and people are able to uh, really um, maybe embed that into their work. So if you think about, I mean, what you're doing is incredible. I- I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking through, not only are you filling jobs, but you're really changing the trajectory of people's lives in terms of getting them into the middle class at scale, given that health systems and providers play, pay a, a strong wage across most of these roles. So what's, what's getting in the way? What's the obstacle to doing this uh, more broadly and, and, and more at scale, if any?
1: Well, Renee, you know the Atlanta Federal Reserve, uh, Bank of Atlanta, and McKinsey came to me, and they were looking at the data, and they said, "Hey, for these 5.9 million unemployed, look at all these good jobs in healthcare. How do we actually move people, you know, from where they are to these good healthcare jobs?" And so, what I know is that every state, every state is going to need to to create their proportional share of healthcare workers, especially in the allied health. So what would make for um, a warmer invitation for Futura Health to, to enter that state and be of help to employers? Um, really, we're looking for three things. I mean, we're looking for uh, um, funds that would underwrite the scholarships. Really, uh, the that is one of the friction points, the level of debt that people get into yeah. in order to get that first credential. So being able to remove that friction is, is, is very helpful uh, to diverse communities. Um, second, are there employers who are ready for the clinicals and the hiring um, to be part of the design work. Um, and then three, if there's some natural channels, we can activate community-based organizations in order to, act to in, in mass creating a scouting and recruiting uh, channel to bring people into these scholarship um, roles. So the good news is that we're built for scale and we perform even better at scale. That's fantastic! Oh, and and we've been invited now to enter um, Connecticut and Florida, uh, thanks to the support of a big foundation. So if That's there's amazing. other employers in those areas,
0: they please, should reach out. Yeah, yes, just I mean, So just for context, at the academy, we do about 80 live events a year, and we do that across multiple uh, roles. And every every agenda is all about solving workforce challenges, and it's not just highly technical roles. I mean, they they feel as constrained. Around certainly allied workers and sometimes it's hospit sometimes it's hospitality uh, mm-hmm. or or um you know environmental services staff. So there, there seems like there's this mismatch. And I love that you're getting to the heart of that matter by really unlocking some of these barriers. And I know that many of there's a couple of academy members um, that work with you Sutter and Stanford Health as two examples of that. I think that's fantastic. Um let me then maybe zoom out a bit. So the, the mm. other maybe force here on workforce trends is around um, how, how are you thinking about the way in which technology, AI, automation, maybe shifts the conversations or, or what are you seeing coming around the corner as it relates to just broader tr- trends on workforce as it relates to some of these newer technologies?
1: Well, I do know that in the forums with those uh, CEOs, healthcare CEOs, in in DC, New York, and yeah. in, in Orange County, you know, when they looked at the shifting demographics of where the workforce would come from, one of their natural conclusion was more: we need to automate. Um, and so, you know, as more and more technologies get ingested into the the world of care, and also as care shifts to the home, um, clearly our future is going to be one where where we are going to be par- partnered and paired with technology augmented by technology much more you know T- uh, tom mitchell who uh, built the first machine learning uh, science program at carnegie mellon university i he, listened to he, your
0: podcast with him yes
1: yes so he's um you know he's writing the uh, the report back to congress on ai and the workforce and um you know, he, he always caveats that it's, it's not us versus the technology. It's how do we work with technology and augments yes. and key for us will be how can humans, um, continuously learn and adapt. So Renee, that brings me up, uh, you know, to think, you know, in the, in the, in the past, when we were growing up, we only had one unit of education, which was the degree, mm-hmm. right? That's four years, two years, you know, two years, four years and and more, But given uh, how quickly uh, uh, things are changing and the shelf life of of skills is shortening, what you're beginning to see in higher education is modularity, right? Uh, Businesses know this. So it's how do you do um, competencies and how do you do digital badging and how do you add them up up into a micro-credential and how do you embed micro-credentials into a degree? So the stackability of this learning is going to be very important because especially in healthcare, licensure requirements often um, are are pegged at the degree, but for most people, if you if you look at the studies on adults and their interest in moving into occupations, they're very willing to acquire new skills, but they're not willing to commit to a degree right away because there's so much uncertainty in the labor market. So, you know, put out the teaser, in the credentials and the micro credentials, build their skills. And then that, then you begin to pathway them, um, up to towards the, the degree requirements of, you know, added occupation. Yeah.
0: That's really powerful. This, you know, I'm, I'm putting it in my own words, but this micro dosing, if you will, and, and stacking experiences, it it sort of makes a lot of sense in terms of how adults learn, right? Like in more bite-sized portions that are, Um, maybe layered with where you are in your day-to-day professional work. So I I love the way that, that that you think about that. And then I'd reflect, we have a number of conversations with our members around what you just said, that the future of care delivery, the future of health might be more of a AI human dyad models of care, which we're in the very early innings of, but just thinking through what does that mean in terms of how work gets done, I think is a really powerful question that all of us as leaders should be asking ourselves
1: right and if you were to um you know there's one thing that you can hedge it's just that uh literacy with technology literacy with data will always become will be a valued skill set right absolutely No no matter what the care that you're practicing absolutely
0: so we've been um T- talking a lot about how employment and the way that 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 workers engage with their employers begins to shift over time and how we begin to meet that challenge, I guess, if you and I are sitting back down together in five or 10 years. What does the future of your company look like, just given how how quickly the, the workforce needs are changing and evolving.
1: Well, Renee, I expect that in five to 10 years, uh, employers will be asking for tour health graduates by name because mm-hmm. they 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 can uh, expect that uh, the graduates uh, come with a focus on the um the durable interpersonal skills as well as the technical skills um you know we we would love to be the trusted uh, partner to employers as well as states uh, to develop a systemic approach a systems approach to workforce development uh certainly with all the intentionality uh we can we can bring. Uh, individuals, communities into the workforce pipeline, so that employers can have the reliable, quality and diverse uh, talent pool that they need.
0: I love that vision, and so and so so needed. And um, you know, you can imagine. I, I love that you're focused on healthcare, but I think the model could extend beyond healthcare, just in terms of just overall as an economy. This need to continue to keep our our um, citizens updated and. Um, really deploy them on, on big gaps in terms of, of, of ways in which we can create just greater sort of wealth building for all of them and for all of us. So I, I love that. I love the mission of what you do. I was a chief talent officer before this job. So anything on development and, and, and leadership and all of that, just like to me, is just such a fun way to spend some time. So it sounds like you have a very, very fun job um, that I'm a little bit uh, envious of. It great work that
1: you're doing. Renee, is there enough time for me to tell my fish story? There's always time for a fish story. You know, I talk about uh, workforce development being a team sport rather than an individual sport. And 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 um, I'd love to share my fish story. And, yeah. you know, when I was in the energy sector, we were doing workforce development because we had 25 to 50 percent of the industry's workforce uh, on the verge of retirement uh, over the next decade. So, again, we had to have some intentionality going in. And so we had done uh, exactly the model of workforce development with the educators closing the gap on the skills we had our community based organization doing the outreach and here we were I was on the employer side, articulating what we needed, as well as uh, doing the hiring. Well, all of that came together and there was a group of uh, individuals created and completing the program. And then we put them through exactly the same pre-employment testing method. So there was no shortcut, no bypass, right? There was just one individual that the supervisors love, but then he disappeared from the list on the other end. And we looked into it and asked why, because we were in this workforce development program, we asked why. And it turned out the young man had gone fishing when he was 15. And at 15, he caught a fish that was too small and got a ticket. Well, at 15, he didn't pay the ticket. Oh, my gosh. And then it went to court. And at 15, he didn't show up in court, and it became a felony. Mm. So here's this individual who didn't know he had a felony, which would have precluded him from working at most of these jobs in the energy sector and didn't know it, and frankly, would have precluded him from working in the healthcare sector as well. Um, and because we were in this uh, workforce development collaboration, you know, normally employers would just say thank you, but no, thank you. Right. We turned to our partners who were able to work with him to expunge the record, and wow, he became powerful. a great employee. That's but though, right. Yeah, that's really that is powerful. too much for uh, an employer to take on, and and frankly, you could give him five degrees, and that would have solved his problem. It took the third, le- you know, the third leg of. Um, Partnership, which is the community organization, um, to solve.
0: Thank you for sharing that. That's 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 really powerful. And and maybe just a reminder that there are things that are built into processes around employment that can be rate limiting for people. And so I, I love mm-hmm. that example of the community with an employer coming together to really get get around solving that. So maybe I have one final question for you, which is. Um, one that I ask all of my guests, which is if you could invite, um, we spent a lot of time, we call this the table because we love just having different voices animate on healthcare issues and sometimes outside of healthcare issues. So if you had, if you could invite any two people to continue this conversation at your table, who would you pick and, and why?
1: Ooh, that, you know, what would be fun is, uh, we would pick, uh, the chat GPT oh. to join the table. Uh, and then, of course, I think you always have to have the voice of the worker because they will uh, keep you real in terms of what are the frictions um, that's preventing them uh, from joining the workforce.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm fascinated by ChatGPT. I, I'm wondering, um, maybe I'll start to try to see if they come up with a, the question guide for uh, for my for my podcast. Um, but yes, I think that the human touch and, and really getting into mission and, and why people are motivated to do the work is... Is something that just is so important. So I, I appreciate all the work that you're doing. I think every healthcare organization, just given how um, intractable the, the the labor issues are, should be thinking about a model around workforce development that gets much earlier up the funnel in terms of developing the next bench of talent. So appreciate all the work that you and your colleagues are doing to that stead.
1: Well, Renee, we're uh, w- welcoming and inviting uh, employers who are struggling with their workforce issues to contact us. We're at uh, www.futurohealth.org. So please reach out to us because it, you know, we want to know we're built for scale and um, to solve the, uh, the, the workforce issues that they're, they're facing. That's excellent.
0: Well, thank you so much, Vaughn. A pleasure chatting with you. And I hope that I will see you at an Academy event at some point soon.
1: Looking forward to it. Thank you again, Renee.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining me at the table with Renee Silva. a podcast brought to you by the Health Management Academy. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, subscribe and drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast now. For all of our episodes, including show notes and transcripts, and more information about how you might join me at the table in the future, please head to hmacademy.com slash podcast. I look forward to having you back at my table next time. Talk to you again soon.